Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind him. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Barth. Good gosh, dirty! This is the Heel Tough Blog Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys as always. And today, it is time to take a look at the Tar Heel linebackers for this upcoming season. We're going to do that here in a minute, but uh, we are closing in on the start of the 2023 season for the Tar Heels. Now just 12 days away and uh, a ton of excitement here in the Charlotte area. There's a ton of storylines going on around this, of course. Uh, today, the last preseason uh, honors given out, both Drake May and Cedric Gray land on the Associated Press's preseason All-American teams. Both guys are second-teamers, and so now... Uh, th- this pretty much is the home stretch. Now they're with 12 days to the season. Remember last year we heard about you know the the decision on a quarterback being 10 days out because that's when you want to start game planning. You wonder if Carolina is probably getting into it a little bit earlier this year. Uh, probably you know the next time that they are out on the practice field, if they haven't already, they are going to start game planning for South Carolina, and so. Uh, I know yesterday was was the wrap-up to fall camp. So with preparations beginning, the big question that I think a lot of people have is about Tez Walker because this is the most important question that Carolina has coming into the game uh, in a couple of weeks against South Carolina. I know that there you know are some injury issues on the back end in the secondary. Uh, we'll have you know a full breakdown of the secondary coming up uh, in the next couple of days for you guys. But really, the the storyline that matters the most right now is Tez Walker because this is a guy that was a preseason All-ACC selection. He's a guy that a lot of people felt like could be the next of, you know, a a string of receivers for Carolina to go over 1,000 yards receiving. And so there was, I, I guess you would call it an update. To me, when I read it, there wasn't really much that's different from what we know. Brad Crawford of 24-7 sports. He does a lot of things for uh, the South Carolina, the Big Spur, 
um, I, on their 24-7 website. Uh, and he released a tweet the other day over the weekend saying that uh, as of this point, the belief is that Carolina is going to have Tez Walker eligible from people that uh, are inside the program or he just listed them as sources uh, around the program. So he, he said uh, that basically they're feeling pretty good about where things stand. He did say, and this was probably the most noteworthy part of what he said, that they do expect a decision sometime this week. And look, we're sitting here, it's you know about 5 o'clock on Monday, we don't have any update as of this point. So it doesn't look like that decision is going to come down today. So ultimately, the question is, what we talked about on the last edition of the podcast, or maybe it was two editions ago of the podcast, where we said, look, at what point do you really start to consider not having Tez Walker run with the ones? I think Carolina's in a really, really interesting spot. Look, if those reports are true and if they are being hinted to the fact that they are going to get a decision on Tez Walker here within the coming days and they feel like it's going to be one that works out in their favor, most people would probably argue you keep him out there running with the blue team, continuing to build that chemistry with Drake May as they get ready for the opener. But if Carolina is unsure, really even in the slightest, they have to go about it a different way, and I think we're at that point with 12 days to go where, where they got to make tough decisions. Yeah, no, they they should operate as if he's not going to be on the field um, because I feel like he's a good enough player that once you find out if he's eligible, you'll be able to put him back out there and it not be, it not be an issue. Um, but right now, he's not, and the next time they step on the field, their South Carolina preparation – uh, will be underway. They'll be game planning for the Gamecocks uh, when they face them next Saturday night in Charlotte. So um, hopefully we get an answer by, you know, the middle or the end of the week. That way you're not going into the week of still not knowing if you're going to have him or not. Because I think, I, I think if he's on the field or not, I think maybe determines if Carolina wins or loses the game. I think he's that dynamic of a player. So um, but if, if I'm Mac Brown, if I'm Chip Lindsey, when I start installing my game plan for the Gamecocks, it would be with Tez Walker not being on the field. Well, I mean, to me, again, it's 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 all about how much do you know about the situation because, look, I don't know if I'm going as far as you are. I, I still think there is a ton of talent in this wide receiver room. Now, the concern would be he's been running with the ones this entire time how much work have you been allowing some of the other guys to get with the ones you would you would hope that at some point carolina has been rotating tez walker out and and you know again it, it's such a delicate balance that you're that that they've have been having to go through here probably for the better part of the last month cuz remember they found out a little bit before we did uh, they you know waited to release the information, but they found out about a month before the season uh, was scheduled is scheduled to start. So they've had a little bit more time to deal with this. So I, I think you know as long as they have been rotating guys like JJ Jones, if they're going to use Kobe Pesor out there, uh, Chris Culliver has you know been a guy that's jumped off the page according to Mac Brown since he's come in in the summer. If they have been doing the right things with those guys and getting them on the field and they feel like, hey, we can still sort of balance this thing out, 
then go for it. But to me, you have to know that you're getting a decision that is favorable for you going into this, like many people are indicating. And I, I think, yeah, you mentioned that, you know, in your mind, this this is really going to be the determining factor in the game. And I really think that there are, you know, a lot of people that are feeling that way. Now, I will say this. There is another piece of news here before, you know, we turn we, we turn and take a look at uh, this linebacker unit for this season. This coming from the South Carolina side of things. So we've talked a lot about the injuries that the Tar Heels have in their secondary. Well, South Carolina, they have a guy that's uncertain for the opener, and it's their best wide receiver, Juice Wells. This this would be huge for South Carolina if they don't have him. He is clearly their best receiver. Uh, they, they really don't have anybody else outside of him uh, that they, they trust in their passing game. A lot has to be replaced from a year ago. So if Juice Wells was unable to go, or even if he is hobbled in that first game, he's not at 100%. This could be a pretty big storyline for Carolina and could sort of counterbalance the issues that Carolina is already having with some of their health in the secondary. Yeah, um, you know, it would be it'd be a big loss for South Carolina, an offense that um, isn't as as potent as I think we we expect Carolina's offense to be going in to 2023. And so, if if there's a situation where Tez Walker isn't eligible and Juice Wells can't go, I think that maybe flips the tide back in Carolina's favor because I think you trust their their overall skill position talent more so than what South Carolina has to offer you. But, you know, from, from my vantage point, knowing how good of a player Tez Walker is, knowing some of the questions that Carolina has on the offensive side of the ball, if he can't go and South Carolina is at full strength or as close to full strength as they can be, uh, I, I I think South Carolina would enter that game probably the favorite to come out victorious. Yeah, as of right now, a lower body injury is what he's been dealing with. Uh, the last article that I saw that was written about it was six days ago, uh, and uh, it was something that he, you know when he picked it up, he was expected to be out uh, just about a week, and it, they expect that he is going to remain out again. Uh, as of right now, I don't know. We haven't had any update on. Uh, on his status from Shane Beamer, but a lot of people expect that he probably will not practice this week. So it could be very similar to what we're going to see with guys like DeAndre Boykins, uh, Antavius Lane for Carolina. Both of those guys are guys that probably, if they're going to play, uh, they're, they're, they won't end up practicing before they actually step out there on the field. So very interesting scenarios for both teams to monitor as we move forward. But let's get into our position preview for today, and that is the linebackers. This is the unit that, look, if there's anything that you can feel somewhat confident about with this Toriel defense, it is this linebacking core. Other than that, I really don't have anything for you. Uh, but this unit boasts uh, probably one of the best combos in the entire country. Um, I would say it's probably top five and one of the other duos that's right there with them unfortunately is in their conference and it's the reason why a guy like Power Eccles is not first team all conference and probably doesn't get more respect uh, nationally but look Cedric Gray a year ago 145 total tackles third in uh, all of college football 82 solo tackles second in all of college football he led the team in tackles for loss with 12 
and had four sacks, uh, which was also the most on the team. 15 quarterback hurries as well. So uh, Carolina used him in a bunch of different ways. The biggest thing that he struggled with a year ago, though, uh, as did Power Eccles. Both guys really struggled when in pass coverage. Gray, a little bit better, only allowed 48 of his 68 targets to be caught for 432 yards and four touchdowns. Did come away with two interceptions and had six pass deflections for Power Eccles. Not nearly as successful. He was targeted 46 times, allowed 42 catches, 332 yards, and four touchdowns. So Carolina's got to be strategic about how they use him, dropping him back into coverage. But they've said, look, Power's been working on that. He was an extremely athletic guy. Remember watching him back in high school, seeing him drop into coverage. It was a lot better than than what we saw from him last year. So Carolina's been working on that. Hopefully they're able to unlock that for him at the college level. Uh, because, you know, pretty successful year for him last year, 103 total tackles, five tackles for loss, two sacks, and 10 quarterback hurries. So really uh, one, one of the most productive linebacker groups that Carolina has had in a while, led by a guy in Cedric Gray, by the way, that, I mean, I don't know if you're with me on this, I think he probably has a pretty good shot if he can improve in pass coverage to be Carolina's first first-team All-American postseason since Brian Simmons in 1997. Yeah, I mean, he's he's one of the best linebackers in in the conference and in the country. Um, and the thing that, that really just stands out about how good Gray and Eccles are and have been is they've been doing it with inadequate defensive line play. Like, like you look at Clemson's linebackers, which they're phenomenal, maybe the best duo in all of college football. They've also got a top three to five defensive line in the country. You look at Georgia's linebackers, what do they got? Great defensive line play. Think about, you know, Michigan, great linebacking play. They've got a great pass rush. They also have a lot of depth behind them that can rotate in and keep them fresh. I mean, you're talking about Cedric Gray last year played 985 snaps. Yeah, I mean. You played almost 1,000 snaps defensively. Power Eccles a little bit less because he had moments where he had to come off the field where he got banged up and everything. Still 871. That's ridiculous for two linebackers to be playing that much. And so that's the thing that you really got to just enjoy about them. And this is where, like, you want to talk about frustration settling in with how bad that defensive line is and has been. If they were adequate with what the with what Carolina has at its linebacking core, this defense would 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 keep Carolina in, in more winning positions. More often than not, because these dudes are just gamers. You're talking about the less they're talking about the best linebacking duo since Bruce Carter and Quan Sternovit in the mid 2000s when Butch Davis was here, and Carolina was a defensive-minded uh, program at the time. Um, and, and so they're just they're 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 a lot of fun to watch. They play with a lot of energy, emotion, and passion. Um, and then they're dudes that you know there's there, there's there's a quiet confidence with these guys and. You know, you gotta you gotta understand these dudes were so good. They made my breakout candidate last year, Ra Ra Dilworth transfer. <laughs> like I had that dude well, be- becoming no a breakout offense. player, and he's at what East Carolina this he year. He is. No offense to Ra Ra, he had some rough moments when he was on the field. Um, but a guy that I think was was just undersized from the moment that he got there, and just never really was able to settle in. And then once they brought in Gene Chizik, I think the system sort of faded him out. But I mean, you're talking about, like, Power Eccles. I think we all thought he would be a breakout player. 
I know he didn't finish the season as strong. You remember there was a time early in the year he was easily the nation's leader in solo tackles. He was I mean, he was doing it basically all by himself at, at, at some points. Him and then, you know, said would be the other guy that would trade off with him. I mean, they there was a point where it seemed like those two guys were the only guys playing on the defensive side of the football. Everybody, at any time you would ask, okay, who made a tackle there? Who made a play there? Power Eccles or said Gray. So, I mean... I think it's amazing. I mean, Gray, I mean, it, there are people talking about this dude possibly going in the second round. And the thing that's shocking about him was this is a dude that at the high school level, he was about 200 pounds and played wide receiver. And now he's a guy that could be a first-team All-American at the end of the year. Mm. Like, it's just, it's, it's insane. And, and you're right. The frustration is that, look, if they had any help in front of them, this defense could be pretty legit. Like even if they could, all they could do was stop the run, because you've got the linebackers to do it. I know there were times where, you know, they missed some tackles, but I got to be honest, that's that's going to happen, especially in the modern era of football, where you've got you know much more aggressive mindsets when it comes to trying to stop the run, the angles that you take to the football. The other part of it is is yeah, you're going to miss a you're going to miss some tackles when you have as many tackle attempts as these guys have because nobody else is attempting to actually make a tackle. Yeah, I mean, I, so the thing is is you've got you've got great production with those two dudes. The problem is you look at that depth chart, there's not there's not a lot of production outside of those two guys that that that, that does exist. I think that's why look it made a lot of sense why Ra Rob transferred um, as you mentioned, probably a guy that just was probably too small to play at the ACC level. But if, if God forbid, something were to happen to, to Gray or Eccles, there's not really a guy that, that stands out on the roster that you're confident is going to step right in and help replace that production. They're not going to replace that player completely because, no. you know, Gray, you said, like you mentioned, could be, depending on the type of year he has and Carolina has, could be an All-American type of candidate. Um, Power Power Eccles could be an All ACC guy. After, but but behind those two, like you got Sebastian Cheeks, a guy that um played three snaps a year ago. So, and then you've got a bunch of you, you Deuce Caldwell, some some guys that are there. A reason why they did not see the field a whole lot. You got some true fresh. I think I think that's the probably biggest concern. You know what you got in Gray and Eccles, but God forbid if injuries happen, and and that's the nature of this game. You don't know what you have coming up the line uh, at that linebacker spot. Well, yes and no. You've got, really, I don't think that you want to turn to this guy, but Mac Brown has told us that Amari Campbell is is ready to go. He's the number three guy. He would rotate in. He's the first guy, as of right now, that would come off the bench behind either Cedric Gray or Power Eccles. Loves his physicality. Loves the way that he plays downhill. He got in early as well. He was there in the spring, so he's been there for a while. Um, so I, I I think this is a guy that can make an impact as a rotational guy. I will say this. On obvious rundowns, I think this is a guy you could put on the field, and he'd be fine. I think if there are situations where you need him to drop into pass coverage, that is very far that that is far from his strength. He is a old school type of downhill middle linebacker. Now he's at look, he's got the athleticism. I just when when he played in high school, and you'll see this a lot with linebackers at the high school level, 
because there are a lot of high schools that still are very run-heavy, and he saw a lot of them when he was playing in high school, they will use him in a a more traditional linebacker role. So he's going to have to make the adjustment there, but to hear the way that Mack Brown has talked about him, and we'll talk about in the next edition of the podcast another guy that that, that has been raised. I, I think he is, it's either him or Tayon Holloway, the corner, who have been talked about the most of any guy on this roster so far here in the fall, of guys that have just made that big of a leap. He won his position battle against Sebastian Cheeks for that backup linebacker spot about a week and a half, two weeks into camp. So this this dude's got something. But you definitely do not want to have to put him out there. It, it, the The key thing, look, if you lose one of those two guys in the middle of this defense, this defense is going to struggle mightily. There's just there's no way around it unless they are just rushing the passer that great, and guys are getting off of blocks and clogging gaps and in, in in the run game. Because losing one of those two would be devastating. But if you keep them healthy, it feels like for the first time in a while, you've got a guy, really first time in two years, you've got a guy that can rotate in behind him and impact the game. Sebastian Cheeks, you mentioned he only played three snaps last year, but that was because he missed all but two games with a shoulder injury. Remember last year around this time when we were breaking down this unit, we thought he was in a similar-ish position to... Amari Campbell. I don't feel like we were as we heard as much from Mac Brown as much raving about him. Um, but look, Mac Brown, you know, still talking about him being the guy that could be the number four linebacker. Uh, they really just want to see him take a step with his physicality. Um, that's the one thing that Mac Brown said that he lacks right now. He's just not playing with the physical edge that he needs to to be able to get on the field and play consistent snaps. So. I mean, look, I think there is some the potential of some depth here, but I think you're 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 probably looking at Sebastian Cheeks being a guy that spends most of his time on special teams. Uh and and similar roles for Deuce Caldwell, the two true freshmen, Michael Short. He was with the team back in the spring, and Caleb Lavalle, who's been with the team uh since you know the start of August when they started fall camp. So I mean, look, you're you're asking a lot of those younger guys, but I think even even to have four, right, is probably a step in the right direction. That's up to Sebastian Cheeks, though, to take that step. Yeah, because at, at this day and age, especially if Carolina wants to play 13, 14 games or whatever, like you, you, you're going to need some other guys to step up because if you're asking Cedric Gray to play 985 snaps, you know – at some point, you would worry. I mean, worry, he ain't going to have an NFL career at that rate. You're, you're going to worry if he's going to run out of gas. And now part of this also is hopefully Carolina puts games away to where you're getting these dudes off the field. Some of the biggest reasons why Carolina has struggled to develop depth within its program is how many times have they just outright blown people out? And you're putting dudes in middle to the end of the second quarter, and they're playing the primary part of the second half. Even last year when they were 9-1, and one, that wasn't happening. Um, and so you were having to play, play these guys more than you probably should have given what your offense was doing and given the guy that you have at quarterback. So, um, again, this is, a, this is another thing where I, I don't think it's a talent issue with the guys that are behind Gray and Eccles. I think it's just more of you ain't seen it on a football field yet. 
And, you know, so that's why I'm saying if, if one of those two dudes were to go down, it's 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 a nightmare scenario because Amari Campbell could look as good as he wants to in the spring and in fall practice against his teammates. That don't mean a look at beans when you go out there against another Power 5 opponent. Um, and, and so what you're hopeful is is that those dudes stay healthy, but in these games where Carolina has a chance to put some mediocre to subpar teams away, you're getting Gray and Eccles off the field maybe by halftime early in the third quarter, and you're getting the Cheeks, the Campbells, the Caldwells of the world on the field. That way you're building up that depth both for this year and, and, and for the years to come. Well, this is where I think you know some of the transfers that they had – there's been a little bit of a chain reaction, especially you know when you lost a guy like Eugene Asante, who I think you thought you were going to have for a while. Just imagine if he was still here. You would, I mean, I I, I get it. Remember I get how the, good we thought he was going to be, and I get I get that he didn't play well. <laughs> but can you imagine if he was there last year and was a guy that could have rotated in for Carolina to give those guys some breathers? It would have allowed, you know, the pressure to be taken off some of those younger guys, allow them to develop a little bit more. I mean, look at how young this unit is. That's the other thing. Like, you've got, yeah, you've got Sebastian Cheeks, who's been with the team for a year. you got Deuce Caldwell, who's been with the team for two years. But first of all, you're talking about Sebastian Cheeks, who gets hurt, can't really, you know, do anything last year after he suffers the season-ending shoulder injury. Then you have Deuce Caldwell, who's trying to basically make the conversion from safety to linebacker. So really the focus for him, his first two years, has been building his body the way that he needs to. Not really focused on what can he do on the field. Mm. And then the other three guys are true freshmen. So that's it's an extremely young unit behind them. I get what you're saying, that... Look, it's practice. How you know what they're saying for Amari Campbell really doesn't mean a whole lot. But look, this was his opportunity to show out, and so far in spring and fall, he's played very well. So it doesn't mean it doesn't mean nothing. And I think that the fact that they actually trust him to the point where they're saying, "Look, he can play some snaps for Power Eccles and Cedric Gray," that that says a lot about where they think that he's at. But, yes, there's no denying that they need their top two players to stay healthy. Uh, they have, believe it or not, the most walk-ons at any position in or on this 2023 roster is at the linebacking spot. They have seven this year. So you got Jake Harkle Road, who's a graduate guy that, you know, I, the way they've talked about him, look, if they ever got into a dire scenario – He's a guy that's been in the system so long that they feel like they could probably play him and be okay if everybody else steps up. Uh, you got Jalen Brooks, who's been there for a while, uh, played the most snaps of anybody on special teams a year ago. He'll probably play a significant role again there for him uh, this year. Gibson McRae played a ton on special teams last year. Uh, Malad Ajiapur. He also, as the year went along, started to play more on special teams. And then he got uh, redshirt freshman C.J. Murphy and uh, another redshirt freshman first year with the program, Cade Law. His brother, of course, is Cruz Law, who is committed to the 2024 class as a three-star linebacker. Uh, so he is with his first uh, – he's in his first year with the team after transferring from Vanderbilt where he actually played baseball 
Uh, and then you've got Johnny Fritz, who is a walk-on true freshman. So that's your look at the Tar Heel linebackers for the 2023 season. Guys, make sure you head over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. We're going to have uh, the article up there for you guys that will go even more in-depth on these guys that we just talked about. Also, uh, make sure that you're checking out all the other previous ones that we have up there for you guys uh, where we go and break down each position group. We do it every single year. Uh, it's one of those things that we like to do to try to get you ready for this upcoming season, so make sure uh, that you guys are looking at that. Also, on tap for you guys here in the next uh, week or so, we'll have bold predictions as well as breakout players, uh, and then, of course, we'll be getting you ready for the first game of the season against South Carolina. It's on September 2nd, and of course, a nighttime kick in primetime, 7.30 over at Bank of America Stadium, and we're going to have you cover both here on the podcast and on the website with preview uh, with a preview and a recap also on the website. We will have the stock report for you guys, so make sure uh, that you're following along for all of that great stuff. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Josh for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for listening, and as always, go Tory. this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.